Everyone wants something. This time of year, that reality is even more pronounced, isn't it, parents? The kids have their Christmas lists. Many of the adults have their Christmas lists. The advertisers are quick to tell us that our lists aren't long enough. They need to be a little bit lengthier because, after all, year-end holiday sales depend on us wanting what they're selling. We need to keep up with our neighbors. We want a certain lifestyle, and all that takes stuff, doesn't it? Well, this state of things, human beings wanting things, is not new. One of the major plot lines in the Bible that goes back over 3,000 years is all about what the people of Israel wanted. We'll get to the details of that story in a minute. For now, let me say that their pursuit of their desires gave them an opportunity to discover a reality that we need to embrace. And that reality is that what we want isn't always what we need, is it? What we want is not always what we need. Isaiah 9 is an integral part of a story about the people of God in Israel and their desire for a king. To understand the story big picture, you've got to back up a few books in the Bible to 1 Samuel. 1 Samuel chapter 8. This was before Israel had any kings in the time of the judges. Judges were not the kind of uh, attorney folks that we have that sit in courtrooms. In Israel, judges were heroes. They were men and sometimes women that God raised up to defend his people and to rescue them when they fell into oppression. God gave them these leaders, these heroes, as an expression of his care and his love. But over time, they began to lose trust in some of these judges because some of them were unfaithful. And so they went to Samuel, the prophet of God, whose sons had been some of the unfaithful judges. And they said to Samuel that they wanted a king. You get the story in 1 Samuel chapter 8, verse 4. The elders of Israel gathered together. They came to Samuel at Ramah and said to him, You are old and your sons don't follow in your ways. <laughs> How about that for a conversation start? Hey, old man, your sons, uh, <laughs> the apple's fallen far from the tree. So what we want you to do is appoint for us a king to govern us like the other nations. The thing displeased Samuel when they said, Give us a king to govern us. And he prayed to the Lord. The Lord said to Samuel, Listen to the voice of the people and all that they say to you. For they've not rejected you. That's probably how it felt for Samuel. They've not rejected you, but they have rejected me from being king over them. So you can imagine the situation here. Here's Samuel, Samuel feeling this stress and this frustration because after all, he had been charged with oversight of the people of God for a significant part of his life. He had entrusted that to his sons. They had failed. The people had lost trust. And now, they don't want to be the unique people of God. 
They want to be like everybody else. The issue is really idolatry, isn't it? God says they're not rejecting you, Samuel. They're rejecting me, just like they've done since I brought them out of Egypt. They want to be like everybody else. They don't want to live into the unique vocation and calling that I've given them. So God says to Samuel, this is one of those be careful what you ask for moments because you just might get it. So you go back and tell them what comes with a king. So Samuel goes back to this discontent people who are unhappy with God's provision because they've been comparing themselves to their neighbors and, do, and have decided that they know better than God. That, friends, is always a dangerous place to be. Perhaps some of us can identify with that. Perhaps God has given us a be careful what you ask for, you just might get a kind of opportunity as well. So Samuel goes back to the people, and he says, you want a king? Here's what that'll be like. He'll take your sons, verse 11, and appoint them to his chariots and his horsemen. He'll appoint for himself commanders of the thousands, commanders of the fifties, some to plow his ground, to reap his harvest, to make implements of war, the equipment for his chariots. He'll take your daughters to be perfumers and cooks and bakers. He'll take the best of your fields, your vineyards, your olive orchards, and give them to his courtiers. He'll take the one-tenth of your grain in your vineyards and give it to his officers and his courtiers. He'll take your male and female slaves, the best of your cattle, your donkeys, and he'll put them to his work. He will take one-tenth of your flocks and you shall be his slaves. And in that day, you will cry out because of your king whom you have chosen for yourselves. But the Lord will not answer you in that day. Samuel is saying to them, hey, You want a king, you need to remember that that's going to carry with it unintended consequences. He's going to take your sons and put them in his army and have them work in his house. He's going to take your daughters and put them to work in his bakery. He's going to take your money and taxes and your livestock, and you will be like slaves to him. Again, idolatry is the real issue, isn't it? They ask for a king because they're dissatisfied with what God has given them. They think they know better than God. They know what they want, and God hasn't given it to them, has he? They're determined, and so God gives them what they want. In verse 19, we read, The people refused to listen to the voice of Samuel. They said, No, we are determined to have a king over us so that we also may be like the other nations, and that our king may govern us and go out before us and fight our battles. When Samuel had heard all the words of the people, he repeated them in the ears of the Lord. The Lord said to Samuel, Listen to their voice and set a king over them. Samuel said to the people of Israel, Each of you return home. What we want isn't always what we need. Unfortunately, like Israel, many times we have to learn it the hard way. 
So God gave them a king, first Saul, and then David, and then Solomon. And others followed in the line. Some were good kings and led well. Many were not. When Isaiah is prophesying, King Ahaz is on the throne. When Isaiah is prophesying, King Ahaz is on the throne in Israel. And he's in a bit of a political challenge. The northern tribes, you've got ten tribes in the north and two in the south. Israel is kind of the name for the group in the north. Judah, the group for the south. The king of the northern tribes comes to him and wants to create some sort of uh, alliance so that he can break free of the Assyrian Empire, the pagans who've come in and have kind of taken them under their authority. They haven't yet been wiped out. They're trying to figure out how to break free from oppression. So Ahaz is in a difficult place. He's resistant to that. He goes out, we find, uh, to check on the water supply. If you read back in chapter 7, because Isaiah says, I've got you, uh, God says to Isaiah, I've got a message for the king. Go find him out by the pool on, over, over on, the, uh, on the upper pool by the highway. He's checking on the water supply, looking to see if they're ready for whatever may come. Isaiah gives the king a message. The Lord speaks to Ahaz, verse 10, and says, Ask a sign of the Lord your God. Let it be as deep as Sheol or as high as heaven. And God's saying, ask me for something. Just express your dependence on me. Say that you trust me. And instead, Ahaz replies, I will not ask. I will not put the Lord to the test. Notice what's going on there. God asks him to do something, and he's resistant to it, isn't he? He sounds really spiritual in the process. You ever do that? Where God says, hey, I want something, I want you to do something, and we have a really spiritual reason not to do it. I don't want to put the Lord to the... That's, it sounds great, but I don't want to test Jesus on that one. We discover that Ahaz is really a king who has betrayed the vocation because he's unwilling to trust God and obey him and do what he says. The story goes on. And God finally says, I'll give you a sign whether you like it or not. And the sign are those all familiar verses that we find in Isaiah chapter 9. About another king who would come. Ahaz had to learn the lesson that Israel had to learn. What we want isn't always what we need. He wanted to trust in himself. He needed to trust in God. He wanted to take matters into his own hands instead of releasing them to God's hands. But God was at work nevertheless. And Isaiah tells of a king who will come. What's interesting is, perhaps you noticed when we read through chapter 9, that the word king never showed up in the passage. We hear about Someone who has authority, someone who sits on a throne, someone uh, who has the government resting on his shoulders. Sounds like a king, doesn't it? The commentators suspect that Isaiah specifically doesn't mention the word king because this ruler 
It will be more king than the people of Israel ever could have imagined. What they've got to discover is that what they want isn't what they need. And what they need isn't a thing, it's a person. They need a king who will rule with justice. We read this text because we know that it's pointing to Jesus. We read it at Christmas because we know that it's pointing to the nativity. And we're grateful that Jesus is more than a king, that he doesn't compare to any ruler that we've seen or that we read about in the pages of Scripture, that he's more than we could imagine, and that he wants to do in us and through us more than we can imagine. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who lived in a land of deep darkness, on them the light has shined. The story of Israel's search for a king, the plot that runs through so many of these texts and narratives, comes to its high point in the light who shines in the darkness. The Word made flesh, the Son of God, the babe of Bethlehem, the Lord Jesus Christ. Listen to the good news. You've multiplied the nation. You've increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy in a harvest, as people exult when dividing plunder, because the yoke of their burden, the rod of their oppressor, has been broken. What's striking is that even when Israel, when her kings resisted God, he keeps coming back. have no idea what they need. They know what they want. They don't know what they need, but God does. He knows they need him. And in his mercy and in his patience, he keeps coming back. Now he's going to do some drastic things to get their attention before it's all over. They're going to have to go out of the land. He's going to withdraw his presence for a season. But one day the presence will return and it returns in Jesus. The king that we find in Isaiah, the one who is more than a king, comes with grace again and again. Even as Ahaz refuses to trust in him, even as he insists on his own means and instruments and resources, God says, I'm going to do what must be done to make you whole, to give you joy, to set you free. You know what it feels like to have the nations oppress you. You know what it feels like to have the crushing weight of your sin oppress you. You know what it feels like to hurt people, to create damage and harm. God says, I'm going to come in those places in the darkness and light will shine. 
Jesus is more than a king. He is God made flesh. The people wanted a king. What they needed was unhindered, reconciled relationship with the God who made them, who loves them, and who has called them to be his. They didn't know that's what they needed. But they would learn. My prayer this season is that we'll all be able to focus clearly on Jesus. We'll be reminded that the nativity and the cross are intricately linked. That the one who comes to Bethlehem, born of Mary, is the one who offers himself for us as a sacrifice, taking the weight of all of our transgression on himself so that we can receive joy and hope and light and life. I wonder... How many of us have really been focused on what we want? What do I want in my family? What do I want in my work? What do I want in retirement? What do I want from my church? What do I want from God? And I wonder if that list has been a distraction for us. tell you one thing I don't wonder about. I don't wonder what Jesus wants. Brothers and sisters, Jesus wants us. All of us. All of our allegiance, all of our energy, our whole lives, he came for us. Make us whole, to make us his, to deploy us as his people to our neighbors, to the nations. We miss out on his best when we are distracted by what we want. He offers what we need. Will you pray with me? Lord Jesus, you come to us in the midst of our distraction to orient our thinking and our worship and our devotion. Open our eyes to the moments when we allow ourselves to be distracted from what you want to do. Draw our eyes to your glory. Draw our face to your face. Break the oppression of sin in our lives. 
break the habits of comparison. We want to be like our neighbors. Break the idolatry. We want to call the shots. As we gaze upon Jesus, O oh God, make yourself known in surprising, mysterious, holy, renewing, healing ways. We trust that you love us. That you have what's best for us. Give us the grace not to turn away from that but to run to it. In Christ's name.